Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun episode for you guys today, as always. Have we ever had a not fun episode? I hope not. No, I think it's always fun. We have Mike Burroughs from Stanceworks on the podcast. He is doing a killer build. And <laughs> Which, I mean, every build with, he with does. philosophical implications for- Oh, si- come on. Wow, That'd be like the clickbait title, but there is, <laughs> if we do get to it. Yeah. Mike Burroughs goes philosophical. On a Ferrari 308, and he's been building his uh, YouTube channel around the project. And he already, he already had a nice YouTube channel. There's a lot of good stuff there. The Dustiel film is there. There's stuff on Rusty there. Lots of great stuff there. But now he's got his project, uh, Ferrari 308, but he's putting a K24 Honda engine in. Which it's gonna be just amazing. It sounds like you know. It's at gonna first, be great. I was like, "Oh come on!" Like I, we make fun of the purists a little bit that don't want to mod off the car. But when I hadn't heard anything from Mike about the project and just heard he's putting a four-cylinder Honda motor in a Ferrari that worked perfectly, mind you, yes. it did run yes. fine. I was like, no, but now I'm now I'm into it. Now you're into it. He he brainwashed you. Oh, he sold me. You're on. You're on board. All right. Before we get into the interview, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies. T-shirts, garage gear, stickers, magazines. Send them right there to your doorstep. It's basically the latest and greatest gear in the industry. It's all the new tools and things you get every month. I want what I need. What, what needs do you to be in a petrol box? Is I know he listens. Is I need the quarter drive impact driver three eighths things for your little impact driver. Those so, are yeah. That would be awesome. You, you were talking the other day that you lose those more than 10 millimeters. 100%. They're How? always gone because they're black. I think it's because they're black. You know the- what? You know what's ironic is I have like three of them in my impact drawer yeah. and all of them have 10 millimeter sockets on them as well. <laughs> so I'm bound to lose you're, all of them now. I might... Um, Petrobox is awesome. Finish your ad knives. Yeah, there's two different levels you can choose from. Petrobox Basic is 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets even more gear for $39.95. Check them out where? on mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST to get $6 off. I want to remind everybody to hit the follow, subscribe button, whatever app you're using. Leave us a review if you can. It's super easy. And if you like this episode and you like what we do, go to patreon.com slash OVERCREST. Support the show. We'd really appreciate it. It's like $5. It's very cheap. It's not like $5. It is exactly $5 a month. Yes, super cheap. Doesn't cost much to support creators. Not cheap, a good value. It is. It is a great value. It is a great. Well, if you want more value, there's other things you can buy, and we have a top secret thing going out to every single Patreon that we have. This is very cool. It was a project that we did with Glenn Cordell, the uh, the wonderful Glenn Cordell. He's an awesome illustrator. So that gives you a little bit of a tip about what's coming. Every single Patreon is going to be getting one. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Burrows. Hello, this is Mike. Hey, Mr. Burroughs, it's Chris and Jake. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. What's uh, what's going down in there on uh, beautiful California land? Um, the same. I'm I'm huddled up in the office in the morning, and I've got the heater on because it's uh, it's winter, and I've turned into a California weenie. And since it's like 62 degrees outside, I'm cold. How's that? Oh, for you? that that's like shorts weather here in. Minnesota. I was I was watching uh, one of your videos where you were working on the on the Ferrari and you had the garage door shut and you were complaining how it was cold, and consequently I had the garage door open and I said <laughs> this is amazing and I was outside with some lacquer thinner taking paint off the vest budge like working with the garage door open no no hoodie nothing short sleeves just doing it. <laughs> no, it gets it gets to like you know maybe sixty degrees out here and and I'm about done with it I'm over it. Uh, it's all relative. So you sold the Hummer to buy the 308. And I just, I was, when you sold the Hummer, I kind of didn't really know what was going on. But at the time, did you know what was going on? You know, because we had you on, we did like an off-road thing where we talked about that. And it was super great episode. And then all of a sudden the Hummer was gone. <laughs> like, what happened? Uh, you know, I, I knew what was going on. I knew exactly what the idea behind selling it was. Um, I have kind of wanted a 308 for a long time. Who hasn't? Um, I I was turned on to him by my stepdad back when I was in college. He kind of came to me and said, because he's a car guy, diehard car guy. Uh, and he said, I'm thinking about buying a Ferrari. And of course, I'm thinking like, holy crap, you got to be kidding me. 
And then he says, oh, it's, this is like $25,000 Magnum PI car. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you can have a Ferrari for twenty five grand. That's crazy. Right. And so I started looking into them, looking them up. Uh, and I actually came, I don't want to say close, that wouldn't be fair, but came close to buying one. Um, when somebody had, I had just finished my E36 with the S54 swap and a guy reached out to me and he said, I'll give you 25,000 for the car, uh, which at the time was an insane amount for an E36. And it's still a lot. That's like 10 years ago or more, right? I mean, this is, we're talking way back. So $25,000 for an E36 in 2007 or whatever that was, is that's a ton of money. Yeah, it was a lot of money for an E36, a whole lot. Um, but I didn't have it in me to sell it. I had just finished it. I wanted to enjoy it. And he said, well, I kind of want it now. <laughs> and so I didn't sell the car. Uh, but I had, in my head, I was I was thinking it through. I had found a white 308 in Florida. Hold on a sec. Do you know in the state of the E36 now? Because it's kind of just sad, right? The E36 is kind of sad the way it is yeah, now. Do you wish you would have sold sad. it back then? No, absolutely not. It's It's... So I don't, I don't buy into this concept of like forever cars. I don't like it when people say, oh, I'll never sell that car. It just, I don't know anybody who's ever actually committed to it. And I've heard it too many times writing articles, which I'm sure you've had too, yep. where somebody says, oh, this is, I'm going to hold on to this car forever. And then an article happens and I swear it's, it's <laughs> like the catalyst yeah. for a for sale ad. More often than not, the one that somebody told you they're going to keep forever within three months is up for sale and they've gotten rid of it. 100%. Uh, when I used to write for a PVW, I always felt like I was writing their classified listings. Just like, like that, that was like, the pinnacle of the car. It was the best it was ever going to get. And it kind of gives you this impression that maybe they were building the car for the wrong reason in the first place. Like, oh, they got all the attention they were ever going to get. Maximum attention has been achieved. And then it was time to sell it. Exactly, exactly. So I, I won't say that I'm going to keep the E36 forever, but at this point I've had it for almost 15 years. I know I would regret it if I sold it. And it's the only car that I have where I really feel that way, that if I sold it, I would just regret it. Uh, and I think it's mostly sentimental. I mean, the car itself really isn't that special. Like you said, it's kind of in a sad state at the moment, but uh, it's, it's one that I want to hold on to. I think everyone, once they reach a certain age, as they get older, they always say, Oh, I wish I still had, you know, my first car or, you know, my high school car, whatever it may be. And this is this is the one I want to hold on to. Is that because so, you're pining for the memories and the nostalgia <laughs> that's created more than the object, though, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm I'm, def- I'm I'm glad that I didn't sell it. I'm glad that I still have it uh, because if I even if I had bought a 308 at the time, I wouldn't have done anything of value with it. Uh, I was like obsessed with this concept of of you know like oh I'm gonna bag it. It'll be the only one, and that was like back before everyone was bagging everything you know <laughs> left and right. So, it was, I mean, I don't want to call it a novel idea. That is, that's way too generous for it. But it would have been interesting at the time. Um, but so your skill like, set was completely different then, too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm not upset. I didn't get one then, outside of the price range. Uh, whole point being, I've wanted one since then. I talked all through college uh, to you know my roommate and, and best friends about wanting one and as soon as i sold the hummer uh my my college roommate and good close friend Corey, who actually moved out of california for a while and since moved back to tennessee he he called me and he said dude are you finally going to do it are you finally <laughs> going to get a three away he he knew exactly what was going on he was on the same page and, and that's kind of what i set out to do is is you know i i, I got inspired i said if i'm going to do this now's the time i got a killer deal on the hummer uh, I bought it right, got really lucky, and then I listed it up on Instagram. I think I posted it for sixty thousand or sixty-one thousand, and I had money in three hours. So wow, it was, that's crazy. I should have I should have listed it for more. Uh, but <laughs> hey, I there's I something to be reading. said for a fast sale where you don't have to worry about it, and they're not people kicking the tires. That's true. Yeah. So I I I sold it immediately, uh, and then I just turned took and turned that money into a three hundred eight. Now, Mike, before we get to the 308, I want to hear some like final parting thoughts on the Hummer. Because I know we talked about it right when you got it, but what now that it's kind of down the road, what did you sure. think of that? Did it just serve its purpose? Did it run its course? Or what What was the Hummer, your final parting thoughts? I would own another one. I would enjoy owning another one. I really, I really did like it. Um, so I replaced the Hummer with 
uh, a OBS Ford 7.3 uh, Power Stroke Crew Cab Long Bed, which is longer than a limousine. What I can, <laughs> from what I can tell, it is. It is extremely long. Uh, I measured it the other day. It's 255 inches long. So, <laughs> wow. Um, and and everybody that has seen it since I replaced the Hummer has said, "Oh, it's got to be so much easier to drive than the Hummer, at least, right?" And it couldn't be further from the truth. It, and that's to illustrate that it's just different Hummer, in a different dimension. <laughs> it's not as wide, long much instead longer. Of wide. <laughs> it, the, the Hummer really was a completely drivable, dailyable vehicle. It was comfortable to be in. It rode reasonably well. It handled great. I mean, it handled like a giant car as opposed to a truck. Um, and the only off-putting thing about it is just its width. It was like sometimes hard to find a parking spot just because it was really wide. But aside from that, I mean, it was really loud going down the road. I will give it that. It was sometimes a bit of a bear uh, to be in for a long time. It's loud. And it doesn't go very fast. I mean, I had the turbo diesel with the four-speed, and that's supposed to be basically the best you're going to get outside of buying the final year uh, H1 Alpha with the Duramax in it. But even still, it, it it would go 70, but it would kind of put up a little bit of a fuss about it. You know what I mean? Sure. But at the same time, you know, being in the Hummer, it's when you're going 65 down the freeway, it feels every bit of it and it is you don't need to be going any faster than that but i'm guessing most people kind of stay out of the way right i mean they see you there's not like my car where i'm driving around like does that guy see me you're thinking everybody's looking at me right now (laughs) yeah definitely so in all i i really enjoyed the owner ownership of it i didn't sell it because i was like tired of it or anything like that um and like i said I'd, i'd love another one at some point i have some ideas in my head of you know, if I were really going to build one, what I could do with one, as opposed to just, you know, I just owned that one and bolted some stuff on it. But really cool truck. Highly recommend it. Anybody that is like, you know, idolizing one or says, oh, I'd love to do that someday. 100% do it. It was an absolute blast. I don't regret any of it. So I know that you were working on a car for SEMA, which last year, which you know, probably remains a secret. And it didn't end up happening because obviously everything went down in the world and the world imploded. And then this year, I'm thinking the 308 may end up there. And I'm wondering if, you know, building this car was, uh, was SEMA the intention for it? Was the YouTube channel the intention for it? What was kind of the catalyst for, you know, your kind of goal and aim at the inception of this project? Well, I mean, the, the primary goal was just realizing I really wanted a 308 and I wanted to make it happen. And as soon as the thought crossed my mind of, you know, what if I took one and put a K-series motor in it? What kind of car could I really wind up with? So you knew that motor right away. So you were teasing in the beginning what motor was going to be in there, but you knew already? I mean, that was, you'd already had... Yeah, I I knew what motor I was going to do well before I bought the car. Um, I I mean, I had the entire build planned out before I had acquired anything. And that's, that's typically my MO. I like... When I did the Model A, I knew exactly what I wanted to build before I had even found a vehicle to start with. So You mentioned before, though, like with your college roommate, you always wanted a 308. Certainly, you didn't always want to put a Honda engine in the 308 no, 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 at no, no, the time. That, that wouldn't be fair to say at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I've always loved the shape of the 308. I find it to be one of the prettiest cars ever made, in my opinion. Uh, in, in terms of Ferraris and what have you, I think it's the third best looking one trailing only behind a 288 GTO, which is more or less the same car, just a little bit wider. Yep. And then an F40, which is again, remarkably similar. It's got the exact same greenhouse attached to it. It's just the same car, but with LM bodywork. You're probably one of the only people like me that doesn't really love the old super the curvy early. Ferraris. I really no, love I the really, the eighties stuff, late seventies, eighties, like Testarossa, you guys all really that like period. The angular stuff. I love the angular stuff. Yeah, not I that the I not that the three hundred eight is all angular. I mean, it's curvy, but it's just it's just a bit sharper. Yeah, I don't think I don't really like. There, there are exceptions, of course, but I don't really like curvy cars, or at least curvy cars that don't have sharp lines somewhere. I think a curve without a sharp edge is just a lack of definition. And at that point, what what is the point, right? So, my my favorite go to example. And this drives people nuts is I 
absolutely cannot stand uh, B five S fours. I, I I thought you were going to say not, uh, Supra. I Mark, thought Mark four Supra. <laughs> yep. No, even better example. Even better example. I think the Mark four Supra is one of the dumbest looking popular <laughs> cars out there. I absolutely think anybody that is in love with the way they look needs a medical evaluation and they i don't get it mark four supras look ridiculous they're the guys that have the little bar of soap sitting in the in the the bathtub and they just sit they don't use it they just sit there and they watch it melt away with the humidity of the shower and just turn into this boring blobby shape until it disappears completely yeah it is it is a what is it like a, a second gen yeah second generation Mitsubishi Eclipse that someone hooked an air compressor up to and then walked away for a while. <laughs> Overinflated. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a bee sting. It's allergic to itself. So why why so, the why the Honda motor then? I mean, if you knew you were going to do that, obviously, did, was this plan? Because it seems like this lightweighting project. Because I watch you weigh everything when you're doing the car. Everything everything from bolts to headlights to everything goes on the scale and you're weighing everything. Was the motor kind of part of that factor with going with a four cylinder because every obviously the obvious choice is well put an ls in it or put a ford or like a 402 in it or just something like that like why a four cylinder honda engine um so i sat down and i genuinely believe and and i'll challenge you guys to argue it too i genuinely believe you cannot pick a motor that makes more logical sense to put in the car than a turbocharged honda k-series engine I don't believe that there is one. Uh, it stems from basically looking at every factor of importance, weight being one of them. The, the 308 is, if you're asking me, this upsets Ferrari guys when you say it, but it's a very heavy car considering its size. Most people don't realize just how small it is until you stand next to it. What did it weigh it, when you finally weighed it? Uh, so to start with, without the full-size spare in it because i had already removed it and with an eight tank of fuel it was 3,132 pounds that's disgusting and then we're talking about a car that would make your 911 look like bigger it is it is a very Hmm. small vehicle right Uh, it it makes my e30 which everybody considers to be a small car it makes the e30 look huge so the, the weight was really important to me I wanted to trim weight back. I certainly didn't want to add weight to it because weight's the enemy of performance, right? So weight was involved, cost is involved, and the dollar per horsepower from a K-Series is arguably about as good as it gets aside from an LS. Right. I look at the power to horsepower ratio in my car, and with the (laughs) the flat six engine that I have, I will probably have just rebuilding the engine was – if you didn't do anything is eight to depending on if you do it yourself or not, eight to $10,000 and then carburetors were $5,000. Right. And then if you want to do pistons and cylinders and everything else, and now you're doing cams cams, by the time I'm done, I bet shame. I say this with, with a lot with full shame. I understand this is ridiculous. I'll have $25,000 into an engine that makes 290 horsepower. (laughs) That's the stupidest thing in the world. You, you remember the motor that was in Rusty. I mean, that thing was, at the time it was built, the gnarliest S38 VAC Motorsports had built. And VAC Motorsports is kind of the undisputed yep. uh, king of vintage BMW engines. And I, I can't even put into words how much that engine cost. And they sold everything to me at uh, at their cost and whatnot. I mean, they sponsored that engine. It was still absurdly expensive. And the dollar per horsepower was uh, it, it, pitiful. pitiful. <laughs> so doing that one time was enough for me. I mean, the engine was really cool. I don't have any regrets from it, but I said this time around, uh, I, I want to go the opposite direction. And I guess I kind of did that with the, with the, the blown coyote and the model a, um, but this time around, I said, I, I want something that I know is fully built versus just like strapping a blower onto an otherwise stock engine. Clearly, that didn't work out perfectly in the long run. Um, so the, 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 the cost per horsepower was important. And in that same note, reliability. The, the K-Series platform is hugely well documented, has a massive aftermarket, and people use them in racing applications constantly plus you get one overnighted from japan before race wars no problem (laughs) 
Exactly. And, and so <laughs> the, the, oh, oh, so many aspects all came into play and it, nothing else made more sense. So what is also this motor capable of? Like realistically turbocharging it, I don't know, throw $10,000 at this thing, $12,000 at it. What are you getting for, I don't even, it's probably, I don't even know what stuff costs for these Honda engines. That's probably that's, a lot of money. I think that's a lot. What, what are we that, talking for? That, what? Would be, that would be considered a lot. Uh, that is in the neighborhood of what I spent on my complete race engine minus the dry sump. Um, and my engine is specced to hold 1200 horsepower. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, Mike, because my, uh, my only experience with a K series Honda motor was in a bone stock third gen CRV that we owned for a minute. And so I'm picturing that thing with, you know, 1200 horsepower from the same engine. You can do it. Wow. You can do it. Um, and I mean, now it's worth mentioning. I mean, that is a fully built, purpose built motor, but that is an endurance engine. It's one that's meant to, you know, last an extended period of time at that power level. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's the full tilt approach to it. Now that doesn't include any of the ancillaries, you know, things like manifolds and the turbo and all that kind of stuff but it is a long block engine ready to go. So what is it about this engine that makes it so reliable at these? I mean, we're talking, uh, what is it? A 2.4 cylinder or something like that. Mm -hmm. What are we, what is makes this thing just eat power like that? Well, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to be a K series expert because I am not, uh, I am an amateur and I have a lot of really good friends that are helping me along the way to kind of learn how, you know, the ins and outs of it. But I think one thing to keep in mind is we are talking about, Honda, which mm -hmm. is an incredible name in reliability. And we're talking about a Honda four-cylinder engine, which is their, their, their bread and butter. It is what they have committed themselves to for the past, what, 40 years, 50 years? I don't know. Right, right. So when you take, all, when you, you take into account all of the money they spent on development for this engine and this platform, you know, over time, it's got to be billions of dollars into, you know, their, their four cylinder platforms. And, and I, I think they have just perfected that formula. I know that the cylinder heads on them flow incredibly well because all of their cars from the factory or most of them at least are naturally aspirated. They are, you know, pulling around cars that by our standards are pretty heavy. And so they make really good horsepower per liter. And to do that, you have to have an engine that uh, is well-designed. Well, it's funny know? that well, I, I have a friend that works at a Volkswagen shop and he's always just working on this stuff that just all the Volkswagen stuff right now is just, it all explodes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all junk. All the rods are just like pipe cleaners. The cylinders or the cylinder walls are coated with this stuff that once you go through it, the engines are junk. They have huge amounts of carbon buildup all over them. They just, they're absolute trash. And I, it's Honda and what they've been able to do with reliability year after year after year is awesome. You know, and, and I've never touched it from a, an enthusiast standpoint, but it's really respectable, you know, from an outsider's point of view. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just a lot that drew me to the engine, knowing that it's such a popular platform for motorsports was a big one. The other engine that I was looking at for a handful of reasons was you will like a turbocharged VR6 um, in part because it's the proper layout. I mean, keep in mind the engine in the 308 is a transverse V8. So yep. I wanted something that was going to fit in there. I didn't want to reconfigure the entire car and drive lines so of picking a front wheel drive platform made a lot of sense because it would just kind of go into place. And the VR6 is one of the best sounding motors ever made. I was going to say, yeah. sound would be amazing. It, it really would. It would have sounded incredible, uh, but there were a handful of things that drew me away from it. They're One old. They're, the weight, yeah. they are old. Lots of people make a lot of power out of them, but it's not an application that's used in motorsports to like a significant degree. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but it's absolutely nothing in contrast to the K-Series platform. Right? Yeah, the R&D just isn't there behind it with all the companies that are doing aftermarket support. Yeah, and that's what pulled me away from it. So what's the motivation behind the entire project? What, what, what do you see as the end point? When, what are, what's the goal? Um, I mean, the goal is always the same for me. I just want to build something that I think is really cool. So that's the, that's the 
real MO is I have ideas and of course, admitted bias. I think my ideas are really cool. <laughs> Therefore, it's worth the time and money and personal, you know, like effort investment to bring those ideas to life. And I love this concept of this 308 I've built in my head and I, and I want to build it. Whatever the purpose, whatever I do with it at the end is, you know, I guess just justification for that. Or it's not justification for that, rather. Um, it seems like, a, I, I feel like it's going to end up being this time attack thing. Like, that's just kind of like the feel I get oh. is we're, we're going to take it out to the track and see what we can put down for lap times with it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in terms of like, what will I do with it? The answer is primarily time attack racing. So I'm, I'm really hopeful and confident that I'll get the car put together and take it to super lap battle, uh, global time attack, which is SCCA sanctioned. Um, in November at Buttonwillow Raceway Park. How does the class work for that? How, where does your car fit in? What does it compete with? Uh, so it's going to be, should be in the limited class, which is not really where I want to be. I'd rather be in what's called the street class. However, I can't because I have changed the engine to a different make. It's kind of silly. I get it. But like theoretically, I could put a twin turbocharged you know like underground racing 488 motor in my car and be in street class but because i've gone to a four-cylinder <laughs> honda i can't right um but you know you got it you got to play by the rules and i'm not going to sacrifice that just to fit into a class so it's going to be in limited which means i can do a whole lot of aero so the car is going to have a pretty serious aero package on it uh it will be uh, wide body, so to speak. I'll have wider fenders on it when I'm done. It's not going to look like a, a stock 308 by any means. That's not really my style. Um, it, it's going to be what most would consider a time attack car. Is it that? Is that the express purpose? No. I want something I can drive on the street. And I'm not like overly concerned with maximizing the car to the rule set. I'm not setting out to go win. I'm just setting out to have something to go do with the car when I'm done with it, which it's like, oh, well, all of my friends are really into time attack racing. I enjoy it. I have found a lot of, you know, kind of enjoyment in pursuing a better time and, and honing the car, honing your own driving craft. And so, well, that seems like a good objective. That gives me something to do with it when I'm done. So that's what I'm going to go do. When I see the the beauty of that car, and I can tell how much you love how it looks, I can tell the way you film it, I can tell the way you take pictures, the way you talk about it, that you really do love the way that the car looks. But when I see these Ferraris and you get up on the hoist and you're like, chunk, 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 and they get up there and you look at the underside and it's all this square iron tubing and stuff, <laughs> you kind of just look and go, wow, they can make a beautiful car, but wow, what is all of this? It's just, it doesn't seem like it's engineered or designed very well. Yeah, I mean, it's probably better to say it as Ferrari doesn't make a very great car, but Pininfarina can really design one, right? I mean, yeah. so underneath the 308 is not impressive in any measure. It is a, I mean, it looks like a home-built car underneath. It looks like it's from, like, you just bought square tubing from Home Depot and you gave up on your, your low-cost thing and just went and started doing your own thing. <laughs> yeah, it really does, and... A lot of people have said kind of through my progress on this thing is that I'm absolutely removing the kind of mesmerizing appeal that the Ferrari has from afar. Once you really see, you know, the fact that the beauty really is only skin deep, um, it loses a whole lot of its appeal. And some of it, for, I guess for the most part, I haven't, I haven't really cared. I don't really care what it's like underneath. I know what I'm going to try to do with it. And I'm not going to be brokenhearted if I take this car out and it proves to be, you know, not the fastest thing out there. I mean, I'm I'm realistic and understanding of the fact that I'm working with a car that is, you know, 40 years old and it has a chassis underneath it that is closer to 60 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a it is a Dino chassis underneath. It is almost identical tube for tube. They just put new bodywork on it. So we're talking about like a 60s era chassis that has 80s bodywork and it came with a ridiculously heavy 2.9 liter V8 with Bosch, you know, K-Jet on it or whatever. 
not not a remarkable car. There's not a ton to. You have sure have talked a lot of shit on CIS when I watch your watch through the stats person. <laughs> what is this stupid CIS fuel filter? It's holy gas leaking all over the place. CIS is everywhere. It gets into everything when you have it on one of these cars. It does, and I'm glad to finally be rid of every CIS component. <laughs> I don't, it works when it works, but it's definitely not a performance thing. You that's know, for before sure. Chris went to carbs on his Porsche, he was all about CIS. Oh, it's great. It works. It does I work. I can drive it up an altitude. It does work. It works great. It's super reliable when it works, but everything has to work in concert with each and every other part. And it's funny, when you look at the manual and up a, up a manual look at CIS, it goes, diagnosing this assumes that, and it just makes this assumption of this, 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 and this also works. <laughs> if wow. it, so you're just like, you have no idea what's going on, but when it does work, it works great. If you have to say it works great, or rather what you said a moment ago, it's really reliable when, when it, it works. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> well, the, the, the European cars had carburetors, right? Didn't they have Weber's or, or IDF's or something? Yeah, so the the early cars, which is like 75 or 74 up until 80, are carbureted. They are the GTS and the GTB. In 81, or I guess maybe 80 to 81, 82, maybe 83, are the GTBI and GTSI, which are the, the K-Jet cars or whatever version of CIS they have. I don't really care. And then I think it's the last two years, 84, 85, I think, that are the QV cars. Um, and so then those kind of are closer in performance or maybe even matched in performance to the carbureted cars. So I, I have the worst performing version of the 308 aside from the target topped Spider version, whatever you want to call it, version of my car, which obviously is a bit heavier. And what did you make for power on the dyno when you dynoed this thing? 163 wheel horsepower, which is bang on what it should make if you factor in a 20% drivetrain loss. Perfectly healthy engine. So rated for 200 and like low 200s? 200, yeah, like 202 or 203. When you think Ferrari, you don't think that, right? Well, it's it's like well, your car, Jake, is a is a two 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 point two, yeah. Two, but when people like see your car, they're like, oh yeah. my god, that's a nine eleven. We're gonna everybody tries to race, right? Oh yeah. And you always feel kind of bad if you only have like a hundred and sixty three <laughs> horsepower and you're driving a yellow Ferrari. It's, that's no good. Yeah, it's it's pitiful, and and I think that's part of what's funniest to me is just getting to see the Ferrari community interaction because some of the Ferrari guys have posted my videos over on the Ferrari forums and seeing their reactions and just how upset they are about what's happening is funny because they, they herald this car and they put it on a pedestal and it's not so much. They're just talking to the rarity of it, which it's not that rare. Uh, they're just so upset that it's ruining the car and taking away from what makes a Ferrari a Ferrari. And it's like, man, you guys are really idolizing a, a slow, heavy, antiquated, admittedly very pretty machine. Like, get over it. What are you, what are you guys going on about? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's a difference between, there's people, there's, these guys are sometimes right, because there are people that ruin cars just to ruin them. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the attention seeking. It's the, it's the, it's the guy that's the same type of dude who puts a, bl uh, a blow up doll outside of his sunroof at, uh, in Ocean City, H2O. There sure. are people like that that do ruin everything. <laughs> and that those people deserve a bad rap. But I think what you're doing is you're really kind of experimenting with the chassis and seeing what it's really capable of. And I think that if you look at it from that paradigm, these guys should be happy to see, oh, what do they want you to do? They want you to just look at it? I don't understand. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, hey, worst case scenario, guys, I'm making your cars more valuable. So... <laughs> Right, so raising awareness. But past that, it's like, yeah, I'm. some of them are upset because I have taken what is, quote-unquote, a rare car. I mean, the coupes are considerably less common than the target tops, and the coupe was the only option for me. I decided very quickly that I just was not willing to buy the target top. I, I knew if I did, I would just regret it and always wish I had bought a coupe. Um, but then you have, like, you know, car nerd stuff where it's like oh well you're destroying a fuel injected coupe in fly yellow over over tan and there's only a handful of that combination it's like who cares, who cares? like yeah. who cares 
It Unless seems that like... makes my car significantly more valuable than the other ones, it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential entirely. It seems like the Ferrari whole scene is so much more focused on like the purest environment. I'm just thinking coming from, you know, Chris and I are both Porsche guys and there's ingrained in Porsche. There's always like this outlaw people modify them and it's almost accepted. There are purists of course, but it's so much more accepted. I feel like in the Porsche well, there's, community. We had, that, we had Kevin Caulfield on the podcast, I don't know, last year or something. And I asked him about that and he said, it's because there's, the numbers are so much lower. There are a lot less Ferraris out there, yeah. and they are they were or probably are still a lot, a lot more, more valuable, a lot more expensive, and they're really tough to deal with. Like what Mike, what Mike, what you're doing is hard. Okay, right. Like putting this K24 motor, and I'm watching you on your YouTube thing, trial and error. It's really, really hard. And to do anything else with, you know, everybody looks at the Porsche stuff. It's really expensive. It wasn't always that way. So there was guys hot rodding these things and doing things with them when they were cheap and, 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 and then it was easy to do. It was really never easy with Ferrari to just take them apart and make power and do stuff. It wasn't really conducive, but I, I think what you're doing is opening up that, well, maybe people will be able to do that again. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. I, I'm excited about what I'm doing, which is all that really matters to me. I mean, so many folks keep coming by and leaving comments or whatever about like destroying the value of the car. Oh, it's not going to be worth anything when you're done or, you know, just shit like that. And it's those kind of comments are completely beyond me because it's like, it's not your money. What do you care? I don't care about the resale value. I'm not doing it for resale value. Like if I, I've, I've had to kind of get into it with a few folks and say like, if, if that's your only concern, you are implying that it's the only reason you don't do other things to your car that you would otherwise like to do. Even if it's not swapping a Honda motor, maybe you have some other thing you would like to do, but you won't because of the value. And what a sad ownership of any vehicle, Ferrari or not, otherwise whatever, to let your fear of the resale value of the car drive and decide what you will or will not do with respect to your enjoyment with the car. What a pathetic way to own a vehicle. Like that to me, it's like, why even own it? If you're just going to say, well, it won't be worth as much when I'm done. Well then if, if you, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But if that's, if you, Oh, I'd really love to put, you know, a 360 V8 in my 308. It just won't be worth as much when I'm done. I couldn't do that. And it's like, it, I don't know. That seems so <laughs> limited and, and so silly. It's like, not to not to criticize anybody for monetary decisions, but it's like it, it is a machine after all. It's the same guys that right. don't drive their cars and don't use their cars, let alone modify them. Yeah, I may have taken pictures of a four cam three fifty six a few years ago, which is a very valuable car around the neighborhood of seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, and the guy never drove it. I said, "Hey, do you drive this thing?" He's like, "Yeah, we go up to Dairy Queen every once in a while," and. I wanted, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not enough. You need to be driving this car. And I said, I need to drive this car. I'd like to write about, you know, what, did, what, what does it feel like? What is, you know, I, I'm a very experiential writer and I wanted to write, you know, everything that I gleaned from the experience and he wouldn't let me drive the car. In fact, he, once I asked him to drive the car, he told me he didn't want me to write the article anymore because he thought I was not a good person that to, to write an article about the car. And then I said, well, we worked that out. I said, well, will you at least take me for a ride in the car? And the guy just puttered, puttered around in this Furman oh, 4-cam engine, which is this marvel of engineering. I was so excited to experience it. And it just turned into this dullard experience. And I think of the guy that is feels like he's, he's like the custodian of something. But what are yeah. you the custodian of? Who are you saving it for? Who Who is going to reap the benefits of you looking at that machine? Not only that, I would argue he's doing the car a disservice. Well, mechanically, yes, of course. But it's just, what are we doing? Who are we saving it for? This stuff, we're not even going to, in 20, 30 years, we're not even hardly going to be able to afford to even drive it anymore. So let's just do it. Let's let's wear them out. Yeah, and and I hear that. And to, to drive the, that same point home even further is like, we're not even talking about a seven or $800,000 car. We're talking about a car that like, is in the same value as what probably a thousand middle Americans pay every day for an F-150. I mean, yeah, like exactly. people have it in their head that even as a Ferrari, oh, it's expensive. And I'm not saying, I mean, it was, a, it was the most expensive thing I've ever bought in my life by a considerable margin. But 
it's still not like anything earth shattering. I mean, the most expensive 308s outside of the fiberglass cars, like on the best day, Conquerors, I mean, we're talking about like a $100,000 car. Like it's not enough to be that insane over. Otherwise, you realistically just shouldn't own the car. You couldn't afford it anyway. If you're like, oh, I have to absolutely protect you. Right. Like, I don't know. Don't build, I, I they, don't they always say don't build what you can't afford to break, right? Yeah, and I, I don't want to come across as, like, criticizing about money. Like, th- that's that's not my goal. Um, I, I know how hard it can be to afford to do something to your car. I mean, I've, I've done the whole, like, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day so that you can, you know, save up to afford, you know, whatever oh, yeah. it may be, set of wheels or engine or whatever. Or, like, a $2,000 fender for your 911 because they're, <laughs> they're overpriced exactly it, it's more just a reflection of like if you're so caught up in the value of the car that you're unwilling to do something that you actively wish you could do that just seems unfortunate to me it seems like a, a like you bought the wrong car at that point i noticed in the in the recent video that you're de- de- dealing with the pop-up lights a lot and when i first saw like the title of the video is like pop-up lights suck. I said, Oh no, don't get rid of the pop-up lights. That's the definition of the way the car looks. And then you started talking about all, oh, you're going to just kind of keep them or modify. So when they're it's still going to look the same, cause obviously you don't want to mess with that. And then it got me thinking every single car with pop-up lights looks awesome with them down. And every single one of them looks dumb. When they're <laughs> up. I thought I went and looked at a bunch on the internet. I couldn't think of any that look good when there, the lights are popped up. There are none. Pop-up lights are a design cue from car designers to have a headlightless, sleek front end while still having headlights because cars need headlights. The entire purpose of them is for them to be down unless they are needed up. And you can't see them in the dark. You don't need to see it anymore because it's dark outside. Cars with pop-up lights are designed with them to be down. That is the intended look of the car. Now, 308 pop-ups in particular look especially bad. They look really dumb with them up. I don't want those to be up. If I have, we have, I mean, with modern technology, we can have really low profile, really sleek headlight options that are borderline invisible. I can do some sort of LED setup in the front grill of the car that no one will see and won't know that they're there until I turn them on. And the Model A is the perfect example of it. There are two huge LED headlights in the front grille of the Model A, and no one knows they're there. And and the, the 308 is meant to have those headlights down. It looks the way that it does because of the headlights being down. And, and so I just want to leave them there. It's you know? like, you see like a really pretty girl and then she turns around and she's wearing like really ugly glasses or she has braces or something like that. That's what the, <laughs> when the pop-up headlights come up, that's what it's like to me. It just ruins everything. I think the worst example is the, the Porsche 928, I think has the ugliest pop-up Yes, because headlights. they don't look good when they're down either. No, I, I would kind of tend to disagree with that. I do like the way the 928 looks, but when they come up, they're, they're just like on this little Bulbous. spindly thing. They're yes. on a spindly little stand like they just but at least a 308 or any other pop-ups they're part of the bodywork when they're hidden a 928 you still see the lenses and they're just down and not doing anything yeah they're pretty bad they're pretty bad <laughs> so how's the youtube stuff going i mean i've watched you film and i've watched you kind of like evolve is it getting easier do you enjoy it does it get in the way of what you're working on uh yes yes and yes um i have I, I do enjoy it. I mean, it is a creative outlet and, and I like to be creative. So sometimes it's, it's a matter of trying to figure out how to tell a story as I do something. And so, and I definitely enjoy that part. I enjoy putting the content out there. It slows me down significantly. It's like a, uh, a one to three ratio of work on the car versus everything that has to go into actually making the video. And for a bit when I first got started, that really, really drained on me. I had a moment where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not like, I feel like I should be done with this engine swap already. It is dragging on and on and on, even though it's only been, you know, like, I don't know, two months or whatever, but in YouTube time of watching you do it, it seems okay. Just in terms (laughs) of publishing your stuff, but it, it should be done because I mean, I built the entire model a from scratch in six months. So what, what am I doing? But 
I told myself, no, if you're not going to be making the progress on the car, then you need to work and learn to find a sense of fulfillment from the rest of the process of the storytelling and the video making and what have you to make up for it. And I, and I have kind of relearned how to find and where to find fulfillment in other ways as I am progressing through the build. So I enjoy it. It's going well. Uh, I'm, I'm growing an audience and getting constant feedback, all of which is very positive. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. I, I want to see it continue to grow and be something because the whole MO in life for me is to just do what I want to do with my time. And ultimately that's just build the cars that I want to build. How can I make that a living? And if doing it on camera is the way to do that, that sounds like a good compromise to me. Yeah. I think more people need to get out and just, I mean, it's so cliche, right? Do what you want to do, do what you love. But for some reason, people choose to go to work and do something that they don't want to do or they don't like doing. And I feel like there's no way when I'm 75 years old, not getting around so well that I'm going to be like, wow, I'm really glad that I spent however many hours a day doing something I didn't want to do so that I could just buy food when I could just maybe eat different food and do what I love. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it seems like, I, don't a, know. I mean, I know that not everyone out there is, is going to be in the same, you know, like privileged position to just chase whatever they want to chase or, you know, I, I, plenty of people are, they, I mean, they have to work a job they don't like because they got ends to make meat. Uh, yep. And, and I recognize that, but anybody that is looking for a source of inspiration or that sign, if they're thinking about like, I really want, I have a dream that I want to chase and I want to do something for myself. Like I tell every one of my friends, like, Hey, you should, you should do it. You should chase your dreams. Uh, you should, you should try to do whatever it is you want to do. Chase fulfillment. Cause like, you know, you, we've only got a limited amount of time. Uh, don't, don't squander away your time if you don't have to, but I, I definitely recognize that plenty of people absolutely have to. And, and that's, and if you have to, and if, and if you're on that grind, then at least be using the, the, the carrot of the, I want to still want to follow my dreams as one of the things you're working towards. Absolutely. I mean, the, no one, no one got to where they truly want to be with respect to their dreams without trying to chase them. You can't get there unless you try it. It's not possible. So you can't like nothing is just going to fall into your lap. And all of a sudden you go from working in a cubicle to who knows what you might want to do. If it's building custom cars or what have you, that's not just going to like fall out of the sky. You got to go after it. So, well, Mike, where can people see, uh, obviously we're going to talk about this and put it in the show notes and everything else, but they can go on stance works, YouTube, right? Just go to YouTube, type in stance works and they can, they can see all your videos that you've put up. Yep, if you type in Stanceworks on YouTube, it'll pop up. We'll, uh, we'll direct everybody there. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, I think I might be coming down to visit you in May. Right on. I'll be here. I should be here. Yeah, we'll be, here. we might come down and we might just hang out in, in L.A. for like a week and just kind of tool around and visit some people. Right on. Yeah, let me know. Okay, man. Will you take care of yourself? All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye. Always a pleasure to talk to Mike. He's he's the he's the real deal. It's in his veins. It is inspiring to hear like, yeah, if you want to build this project, just do it. Just get out and find a way. Why don't so, you tell me a little bit about Oberk? Oberk Car Care. That's right. Oberk is your source for detailing compounds and supplies. It's made by professionals and they are enthusiasts themselves. These are guys that are passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product because they're the ones using it on their own cars. They truly are great products. I love that it's simple, foolproof. It's a two-step process. It's easy and gives an amazing finish. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only on oberkcarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com and carsupplieswarehouse.com. Go check them out today. Yeah, I've been following along with this project. I've watched every episode. It's been interesting from a from a fellow content creator standpoint to watch watch him develop and get like much better at what he's doing and and uh, and I've liked watching the the progress on the car too. Yeah. You know, just seeing, you know, I 
kind of like that the purists are upset because I'm like I'm not like <laughs> of a purist guy. You are. I'm kind of, of I kind of like that are. just because I I feel like the Ferrari don't drive your car crowd is the epitome of the person that I think needs to learn how to drive their car. Agree. Like those guys 100%. are like they probably wear slippers in their garage. Wait, you I bet you do, don't you? No, I just wear my house Birkenstocks in the garage. There's that's exactly the same that's thing. Not. All right, what have we got going on on Friday? You are out of town this week. I am. You are, so I'll have to figure something out. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but our next guest Be for, sure to watch uh the Instagram. Oh, while I'm out of town. Okay. All right, well, we'll look for that. Okay, are you doing something interesting? I'm driving something interesting. You're driving something interesting. Well, when you want to see uh, Jake's Murano convertible, (laughs) you just just head over to the Overcrest (laughs) podcast Instagram. All right, that's all we've got time for, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Roger, I have a problem. I've been in L.A. for three months now. I have money. I have taste. But I'm not on anybody's A-list, and Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week for me. Oh. A Ferrari would certainly change that. Perhaps. Hmm. But you know, this is the one. Yes. 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 I saw three of these parked outside the local Starbucks this morning, which tells me only one thing. There's too many self-indulgent wieners in this city with too much bloody money. Now, if I was driving... K24 swap Ferrari 308. You would not be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. You would be a connoisseur. Precisely.